Welcome everyone to this evening's celebration of Lectio Divina. We are now entering into the third year of our meditations upon the Gospel of Mark. And during the course of this year, we will come to the end of the Gospel and we'll have uh, you know, had a, a complete meditation upon it. Uh, Lectio Divina is simply mean divine reading. And uh, it's a, a very ancient tradition. It is the slow meditation upon the Word of God in a prayerful spirit. Uh, it's not exegesis, which is the study of sacred scripture. That's a very good thing to do, but that's not what this is. This is, and it's not scripture teaching. It's not catechetics. It's not things like that. It's not a talk on the Bible. What it is, is a meditation upon the word of God, where we read the word of God slowly. And we have in our hearts the words, speak Lord, your servant is listening. You know, very frequently in our prayers, we say, listen, Lord, your servant is speaking. But it's gotta be, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So we read the word of God, and then we have a little quiet time to reflect upon it and say, Lord, what are you saying to me in this passage? What are you saying to my head, my heart, and my hands about how I might know you, might love you, might serve you? And so we meditate upon, think about that, and then, we resolve as we do that, what am I going to do to bring my own heart in line with the heart of Christ through these words of sacred scripture which I'm hearing? So Lexo Divina is very slow and meditative. It's not speed reading the word of God. It's not the study of the word of God. It's praying. And that's why we begin with the great prayer of the church with Vespers. That's one form of prayer. This is a form of prayer as well. And so we will be doing that. We take a small passage, maybe 10 to 15 verses, maybe 20 at the most. And I start off with the sign of the cross because this is a prayer. And then we just let go of all those things that clutter up our minds. Somebody once said that when I'm praying, my mind feels like a tree full of monkeys chattering away. So we gotta say, Lord, take away those things and take away from me all those barriers which prevent the Lord from entering my heart. The great teacher of the early church, Origen, said, O oh Lord, give a pathway to my heart. And those sins, pride, anger, envy, greed, laziness, lust, gluttony, they block my heart to God and to other people. When I'm all absorbed in myself, somebody once said, you're all wrapped up in yourself, you make a very small package. And that's true. So we need to say, let go of all those things. So we do a little bit of that at first. And then I read the whole passage from start to finish. And as I do that, I'd ask you to think, as you're just sort of reflecting as I read it slowly, what does this say to my head, to my heart, to my hands? How does it help me to know God, to love, and to serve? Then I begin, I do, I'll read a, a verse or two. I might read it again, no hurry. And I'll say a few things. I just throw in a few thoughts. I hope they're helpful. And then a little quiet time for each of us to enter into an experience of the word of God with the Lord. And then I'll read another verse, the next one. A few thoughts to help stimulate a bit. And then the quiet time. The most important part of this is the reading of the word of God and the quiet time. I hope I don't mess it up with my comments. I'll throw them in. And then we just keep going. It's sort of like spiritual lasagna, layer upon layer upon layer. 
until finally we get to the end. And then I'll read the whole of it over. And then we say the Our Father, Hail Mary, Glory Be, sign of the cross, and there we go. That's it. Nothing more than that. We're doing it together. But you know, it's in a lot of traditions in the church, it's done individually. So just do this on your own. Just get a little quiet time, a few verses, and just maybe you might want to follow this pattern. I hope it'll be helpful. So let's now enter into the spirit of prayer, divine reading of a portion, chapter 11, verse 27, to chapter 12, verse 17 of the Gospel of Mark. Now we'll recall just before this, in the earlier part of the Gospel, the Lord has entered into the city on Palm Sunday. He has cleansed the temple. He has made his presence known. He has used the symbol of the fig tree that's all shriveled up as a sign of what he was facing in the world around him. And now his enemies begin to close in. And we see him in that sense as he's battling with those who want to suppress his holy word. Take out my Bible. I have a red Bible because I believe the Bible should be read. So let us pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit upon us that we may hear your holy word, that we may know and love our Lord Jesus, and listen to what he says to us. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Let's get rid of all those things that clutter up our hearts so we do not hear the Lord and our neighbor and hear his holy word all the things that are barriers to the pathway of the Lord into our hearts. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful. Enkindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and we shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And they came to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you a question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. And they argued with one another saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from men? They were afraid of the people, for all held that John was a real prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. 
and he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and let it out to tenants and went into another country. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And again he sent to them another servant, and they wounded him in the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The very stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they tried to arrest him, but feared the multitude, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to entrap him in this talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and care for no man, for you do not regard the position of men, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a coin and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were amazed at him. Let's prayerfully reflect upon that whole passage. Think, what does this say in my heart? What is the Lord saying to me tonight? And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? They are the chief priests and the scribes who should be leading the people. They are the ones who should be helping them grow closer to God. And yet they are zeroing in on the Lord because he had purified the temple. They asked, By what authority does he speak? They're asking it maliciously, of course. They're trying to trap him. But that is a good question that they're asking. We should ask it ourselves. By what authority does he do what he does? In the gospel today, in fact, we hear, who do you say that I am? 
This is the question which the Lord puts to Peter and the apostles. Who do you say that I am? Even those who are malicious can come up with a good question, but they're doing it to trap him. We should do it and say, by what authority does he do these things? And maybe we will answer with the reply of Thomas, who finally, after stumbling a lot, finally got it right. My Lord and my God. They zero in. By what authority? What authority does he have? Not just his power to do miracles, but early on in the gospel of Mark especially, we hear he spoke with authority, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. This is the one who touches our hearts. And we need to ask in our own lives, by what authority does he speak? Do we respond to that voice that transforms those who hear it? He is not just a great teacher, not just a historical figure, but he speaks to us down through the ages, especially through the word of God. There's a great writer, Anthony Bloom, a, a Russian Orthodox. And uh, when I was teaching seminary, I used to hand out to my seminarians a little book that he wrote called Beginning to Pray. And it's a great little book. And he talks in it, in a little introduction to it, of in his atheist days as a young man, which is a phase a lot of people go through, he decided to ditch the church, get rid of the whole thing. It's also a stage people sometimes go through. But he said, you know, I'll give one more chance. I'll pick the shortest gospel. Don't want to waste time. So he looked, Mark, this gospel is the shortest. It takes hardly any time to read it. So he started reading it. And he was conscious then of the authority, of the presence, the loving authority of Christ. Not the power that controls, but the hand that invites. And it changed his life. It was not words on a page, it was a person in the room. My Lord and my God. By what authority? Not a trap for Jesus, that's what they were trying to do. But he speaks with authority, unlike the scribes and the Pharisees. Or does he do that in my life? Do I simply hear about the Lord? Do I stick a crucifix on the wall and forget us even there? Do I make a quick sign of the cross and not even think of it? Or does his authority touch and capture my heart as it has down through the ages, as it did for Anthony Bloom and so many of the great saints? Just read the lives of the saints when Jesus reached out and they recognized he speaks with authority of love, it is the Lord. May he have that in our hearts. May he have that effect on each of us. So let's just simply ask that question that was put as a trick question by the scribes and the Pharisees. But let's put that not as a trick question, but as a sincere one. Oh Lord, let your authority touch my heart and ask ourselves, am I letting him influence, shape, call me in my life? Or is he just a name, a picture, a memory? Because if I have not engaged to listen and to hear,
then I do not experience and recognize that authority that can change my life forever. So let's just reflect upon that now. What authority do I allow the Lord to exercise in my life? And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you a question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. Jesus is not going to be caught up in all these games. Too often we get caught up in people's games. They're trying to trap him. So he just bounces back. Was the, with John the Baptist, his authority, was it from God or not? And John the Baptist is the one who said, look, there is the Lamb of God. John the Baptist is the one who pointed to Jesus. And so indeed, if they realize and will recognize in their hearts that John the Baptist spoke with divine authority as a prophet, then they'll know whose authority Jesus has. It is the Lord. But he's not going to play their games. He's going to challenge them. And I think when we need to find in our own world, you know, kind of religious types, I guess we all, if we're showing up here tonight, we're probably semi-religious, at least all of us. We can sometimes get caught up in little games and little challenging and, you know, we got to get rid of all that stuff. We got to recognize my Lord and my God, the authority of the Lord in our hearts and not try to be using our faith to trip up other people, especially as this, the Pharisees or scribes trying to trip up our Lord. We shouldn't play those games. So Jesus said to them, I will ask you a question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. He's not going to play their game. He's not going to get into that. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. And they weren't sincerely asking him the question. If they were, they would have answered him. They weren't trying to find out. They weren't puzzled, was it from God or from man? They were using words to trap another person, not to find out information or find the truth. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. When we use language, not to discover the truth or to praise God or to build bonds of love. But we use questions, by what authority did John do this? As if we're saying one thing when really we're meaning another. Then we're using the great gift the Lord has given us. The word, even the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Language could lead us to the Lord and we need to speak truth to one another in love. But if we use language as these people are, to trap, to hurt, what's the point? St. James has a great statement when he talks about the tongue. He says the tongue is a very small 
but like a flame it can set, that can set fire to a forest. The tongue can do that. That's why Pope uh, Francis talks a lot about gossip. Don't be like the you know, scribes and Pharisees who are trying to use their language, which is a gift that should be used with integrity, to destroy other people. How can the tongue that receives our Lord Jesus Christ in Holy Communion be used a half an hour later to destroy the reputation of another person? To try to trap another person? The second worst thing we can do is to tell a falsehood about another person. The worst thing we can do is to tell a truth about another person that destroys them. We should not use our tongue or language the way these people are using it. That's like the most dangerous thing is not an uncharitable remark. It's an uncharitable remark that is witty because we'll remember it and it will do more harm. And so he brushes them away and so too should we. We should brush away from our own hearts the times we try to behave like these people. None of this. So he says, answer me. And they argued with one another. If we say from heaven, he will say, then why did you not believe him? They'll also say, well, if he's from heaven and he said Jesus is the Lamb of God, then why don't we believe Jesus? But we shall say, but shall we say from men? And they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John was a real prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. That's it. He's not going to waste his time in this kind of stuff. Nor should we. We need to know in our heart the authority of the Lord, but we shouldn't be trying to be like the Pharisees and the scribes, tripping up other people and using the gift of language to destroy. It's always good when we're reading the scriptures to say, where am I in this passage? Could I comfortably fit into the sandals of the scribes and the Pharisees? Would I feel at home? Sometimes we would. And then we should get the confession. So he's not going to play their game. He's going to tell them a parable, a story. And parables help us to recognize the truth in an indirect kind of way. They're kind of going around so that we can understand. Sometimes the long way around is the shortest way home to the truth. Because when we go straight at someone, if he had simply said, I'm not going to tell you, and you're a bunch of hypocrites, they might just simply, the shields go up and they won't be listening. So a parable is an indirect way of going at things. So that while people are following it, suddenly they'll recognize the truth before the defenses go up. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and let it out to tenants and went away to another country. Okay, the vineyard. In the prophet Isaiah, the people of God are called the vineyard of the Lord. And we often use that image. We are to be, we're the vineyard of the Lord. So it seems to be about the people. And when the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. 
And they took him and beat him and sent away him away empty-handed. And again he sent to them another servant, and they wounded him in the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and, they, and him they killed, and so with many others. Some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. And so it is. Again and again, God sends the prophets. Again and again, God sends the prophets in history to those responsible for the vineyard. And that would be the leadership of the people of God, but also to all those within the community. In a very special way, those who are entrusted with caring for the vineyard. And if we look to that in the Old Testament, we see that if we look to that, so often the prophets are rejected by the leaders of the people, but also by the people themselves too often. And indeed, we will soon see in the gospel that the Lord is betrayed by the authorities responsible for his people. But the people also say, crucify him. And so all of us are servants entrusted by the Lord with the vineyard in different ways. It may be in our own life we're responsible for our family, for community, for whatever. We are engaged in stewardship. We're stewards of the great master, and the master has left. Think of the different parables the Lord uses in the gospel. When the master leaves, he entrusts the stewards with the talents that are to be invested and made use of well. But always is a day when the master returns. Stewardship has accountability in it. The tenants don't own the vineyard. They are supposed to make use of it well for the master who owns it. We get into trouble if we think it's mine, I own it. Like Gollum, it's mine, my precious. No, it's not. We don't own. If we think we do, we begin to shrivel up. All of us are engaged in stewardship of our time, of our responsibilities. And here he speaks, of course, of the way in which those stewards responsible for the people of God rejected the prophets even when God sent his only begotten son. He's obviously sending a message about what's about to happen. As it says later, they realized he was talking about them. They're not just trapping him, they're going to kill him. So perhaps we could meditate now as we look to the example of the Old Testament when the prophets were rejected, as we look to the New Testament where the Lord himself was rejected by those who were responsible for the gifts of God. How am I using the gifts of God in my own life? Am I a faithful steward of the gifts God gives me so that I want to return to the Lord what he has given to me joyfully, more fruitfully, fuller? Is my life that joyful stewardship? Or do I simply reject the master and try to take it all for myself the way those in this parable do? 
What kind of a steward am I of the time God gives me in my life? Let's just reflect on that. Pray about it for a moment. And ask God's mercy if we've been too much like these people. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scripture? The very stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. What will the master do when he comes? He does indeed speak to them and speaks of the history of Israel. But he speaks to us as well to recognize our life is one of accountability. The Lord has given us time, the most precious of gifts, sometimes a lot, sometimes a little, but for each of us, our life is really very brief. At the end of it all, we come before the Lord. All we will have on the day of our death is the love we've given away. For that's how to care for the vineyard, is to do so in a way that is fruitful and loving, not possessive and narrow. We must be fruitful tenants, fruitful stewards, not like the people of the Old Testament or like the Pharisees who are trying to destroy the master himself. The very stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So often that is true, is it not? We toss off people that we think are nothing, and that nothing becomes the cornerstone. How often, notice in the scriptures, does the Lord not take the, the winner, you might say, someone who's really got all the good stuff together, but takes someone who is not perfect, who's flawed. Think of Moses and Aaron. Aaron was eloquent. Moses stuttered, he couldn't speak. And God chose Moses, not Aaron. See, John, the beloved disciple, doesn't seem to have ever made a mistake. He was with the Lord, even at the crucifixion, he was faithful. He was a faithful, he never seemed to have sinned. We don't know anyway. Now look at Peter. He's always bumbling along and rebuking the Lord and doing all, so much that in the gospel of today's Sunday, the Lord says, get behind me, Satan. And yet the Lord did not entrust the church to the beloved disciple, but to Peter. For he was a man who sinned much, but repented much. Perhaps we need to be a little easier with one another and recognize we're all pretty frail. Peter's a pretty consoling saint. If you think of the way he stumbled and fell, Oh, how beautiful it would have been to have the Church of St. Judas, greatest of saints. If he had only repented, he could have become the great St. Judas. But he didn't, sadly. And Peter, he denied the Lord, but he did repent. And he who was a stone which the builder could easily have rejected became the cornerstone. You are Peter, 
more jelly than rock, but nonetheless, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The very stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. This was the Lord's doing. Because when we think we've got it all together, even religion, I'm going to be the perfect Catholic, I'm going to be the perfect disciple of Jesus, I've got it, I've got it made. No, no. We all, that's why, that's why the Lord gives us a sacrament of confession. You know, we stumble. Life is a, is a marathon, not a sprint. We stumble, we fall so many times. And yet in that we're purified and come to realize it's not our, this is the Lord's doing. It's not ours. We're not in control. We've got to let go. Which also makes for a happier life. Because uh, the church, the world, we do our best. We try to be a faithful steward, using the gifts, whatever they are, that God has given, and giving back to the Master what he asks of us. But we're not the ones who are in control of anything. This is the Lord's doing. That's why the, the stone that's rejected can become the cornerstone, because it's not the cornerstone, it's the Master who puts it there. That's a great consolation, believe me. <laughs> Think of it for all of us. It's like the, you know, the wisdom of Pope St. John the Twenty-Third. At the end of the day, he'd say, well, Lord, it's your church. You take care of it. I'm going to bed. And you know, in the church, we can all get this way. We see things we don't like, maybe with good reason. You know, we see flaws. We see things. And we start talking about it. The worst place you talk about it is in the, in the comment boxes of Catholic blogs. You know? The holier the people, the more vicious they are. You sort of sometimes think you want to get a little thing before you know before you write. All of us should think about this before doing the internet. Before you hit the send button, just be sure we get a little cup and get the venom out. You know, don't let it get into the thing. So often we can get like that. We can get very uptight, and I guess it's just because we care so much. We really are serious about it. But we are just stewards. It's not our church. It's not our world. We must do our best and ask the Lord to help us and forgive us that so many times we, we are more like Peter <laughs> and you wonder how we ever put us anywhere in the, court, in the building. We gotta lighten up and realize it is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. And that's probably why Jesus did not entrust the church to anyone except someone who denied him. And they tried to arrest him, but feared the multitude, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. So they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to entrap him in his talk. They're still at it. And they even get the Herodians, who are collaborators, and the Pharisees, who were against the Romans, they get them two people, two groups that are as far apart as you can get in the politics of the people of God. They both have one thing in common. They want to destroy Jesus. This is one thing after another. Do you ever get this way towards people? You know, we can kind of beat them down. This is mean. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to entrap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and care for no man, for you do not regard the position of men, but truly teach the way of God. Actually, the funny thing is they're right. He does. 
they're actually describing Jesus perfectly. He does teach the word the way of God. He doesn't, you know, kowtow to people. But they're doing it. These are words that are true. But in their heart, they're using true words to destroy Jesus. They're, there's a split between what they say with their lips and what they mean in their hearts. Whenever there's that split, you know something's wrong. Well, hypocrisy. It means to be an actor, to smile outwardly, but inwardly not. We've got to watch that. That's why it's good to get to confession a lot. Pound out that hypocrisy that we can so easily get into. We can have so many levels. What we say, what we pretend to say, what we think we say, what others think we say. We have more levels than apple strudel. This is not healthy. We should be who we are. See, you know, say what you say, be who you are. We should not. If life is so complicated that we're doing using language this way, oh my gosh, we shouldn't waste our lives on all these levels. It's a clear sign there's something wrong. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Well, I mean, if they honestly wanted to know, that's great. Our Lord would have helped them. But they didn't honestly want to know. They were asking a question that was not an inquiry, but a trap. How often do we use language, not honestly, with integrity, but with layers, with a trap? Integer means no layers. Fraction is many pieces. Integer is all the way through. We've got to act with integerity, which is integrity. Straight through, not lots of layers. So should we pay this or not? They ask hypocritically. But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? He said, what are you, why are you doing? Bring me a coin and let me look at it. And they brought him one. It's interesting. Jesus didn't have one on him because devout Jews were not supposed to be having the picture of the pagan emperor with them. It was the super righteous Herodians and Pharisees who happened to have the pagan coin with them. He didn't have one. He had to borrow it. That says a lot. Bring me a coin, let me look at it. And they brought him when he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. On the coin, the denarius it would have been, there would be the picture of Tiberius Caesar, and it would say, Sovereign High Priest Tiberius. And that was stamped on the coins, and the coins were seen to be an extension of the emperor. Wherever his power went, his coins went. So it was a sign of his authority. We're back to authority again, aren't we? But his authority. He owned that piece of territory so he could put his coins out there. His image was stamped on the coins that exerted his power. And so whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Because the coin was made in the image and likeness of Caesar. 
but we are made in the image and likeness of God. Caesar's area was very small, but legitimate. If he was the legitimate ruler of the people, he had a role for the common good in society. And his image was stamped upon pieces of silver. But God's image is stamped upon you and me, not Caesar's. Caesar controls a little turf. God controls the universe. And so we honor the emperor, as St. Paul says at one point, for his limited role. But he does not stamp his image on any one of us. We are made in the image and likeness of God. We're not little pieces of silver with the emperor stamped on it. This is another way of saying what St. Thomas More famously said, I die the king's good servant, but God's first. Caesar has a legitimate role, and by that I mean the government, the courts, the state. It has a legitimate and limited role, but it does not have a total mastery of anything. If it seeks to master our families, our lives, our spirits, our conscience, if it seeks to be total, then the term for that is totalitarian. We have a term for that kind of government. When the state goes beyond stamping little pieces of metal and doing other helpful things, like putting in roads and things like that, and senses that its remit extends to everything, that there's something wrong. And we need to be attentive to that and say, Caesar, do your duty. But there's a limit to the authority of the state. There is no limit to the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. By what authority do you do these things? So it's about authority at the beginning and the end of this section of Mark's Gospel. And they were amazed at him. I think the people were astonished as always. He spoke with authority. But I suspect that the Herodians and the Pharisees were not just amazed, but angry. So we should think, what does that mean about our own life? We're living in this world. We need to recognize and honor Caesar because Caesar has a role to serve the community and the common good. But Caesar does not own us. I remember once talking to a very courageous employee of a company, I won't say where it was, I'll fuzz it up. And his boss asked him to do something which he felt to be immoral. He couldn't in conscience do it. So he had the courage, which is amazing because he depended for his livelihood upon this boss. He had the courage to say to him, you employ me, you don't own me. Let's just think about that 
and make all the applications we need to. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you a question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. And they argued with one another, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from men? They were afraid of the people, for all held that John was a real prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and let it out to tenants and went away into another country. And when the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And again he sent to them another servant and they wounded him in the head and treated him shamefully. And they sent another and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The very stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they tried to arrest him, but feared the multitude, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to entrap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and care for no man, for you do not regard the position of men, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a coin, let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were amazed at him. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.